This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we break down the new REST API functionality in ONTAP 9.6. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipok. Zipok. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the studio and we're going to talk all about ONTAP 9.6 REST APIs. And to do that, I brought the REST API team. So let's introduce them and get everybody familiarized with who they are. So let's start with Yuvaraju. Yuvaraju, who are you and what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having us on the podcast. So my name is Yuvaraju. I'm a tech marketing engineer uh, working primarily in the manageability space. Uh, with responsibilities for REST API and workflow automation. So uh, for folks, if you have to reach me, I do have a Twitter handle called B underscore Yuvaraju, or you can reach me on my NetApp ID, Yuvaraju at netapp.com. Also on the phone with us is Anil Agarwal. So Anil, uh, what do you do here at NetApp and how do I reach you? Absolutely. Thanks, Justice. Yeah, this is Anil Agarwal. I'm product manager for ONTAP REST API. I've been managing the manageability products, and you can uh, reach me at Anil, A-N-I-L, dot A-G-A-R-W-A-L, at netapp.com. All right. Also on the phone, Ian Owen. Uh, Ian, what do you do here at NetApp? Oh, uh, my name's Ian Owen. I'm, I'm out of the Munich office, and part of my hobbies is, is really automation architecture and guiding large customers in, in our automation products, as well as various other topics. All right. And last but not least, John DeGraff, what do you do here at NetApp? I'm a principal software engineer working in the manageabilities group, um, and I work on our CLI, Zappi, uh, REST APIs, the infrastructure we uh, develop for exposing all of our functionality customers. All right. So um, we have a dream team of sorts of the REST API. So we've got the representation from the product side, the implementation side, as well as the actual development side. And that is the general overview of how we're going to handle this podcast. So to start with, um, if you're not familiar with what REST APIs are, let's find out what they are and what sort of value they offer. So Anil, could you tell us about REST APIs? Absolutely, Justin. So Beginning with ONTAP 9.6, please, ONTAP provides modern workflow-based REST API sets to manage your ONTAP system. And these REST APIs are end-to-end task-focused, not one-for-one ZAPI translation. So it simplifies the ONTAP management. So previously, you were using multiple ZAPIs to do some tasks. Now you can use fewer REST APIs, and that's how it simplifies the ONTAP management. And the REST API becomes the primary ONTAP uh, external-facing API in long-term replacing ZAPIs. But there is no need to panic. Your investment in ZAPI is secure, as ZAPI will be supported for next few years. So if you have created integration using ZAPIs, it will be supported for next few years. So you have enough time to transition. Nice. However, new functionality comes in REST API. So start planning for using REST API to get most out of the new innovation. Thank you. So let's break down um, a little more about REST API versus Zappy. So let's start with Zappy. And if you're not familiar with what Zappy is, that's our Zephyr API. It's a proprietary API that we've been using in ONTAP for years, right? Um, And that's how people would interact with the ONTAP system without having to go into System Manager or without having to go into the CLI. They could automate scripts. 
Um, but the problem, one of the issues that people had with the Zappy functionality is that you had to use proprietary software development kits to access it. Whereas with REST API, you can do that through simple HTTP requests. Is that right? Did, did I break that down right? That's correct. That's correct, yeah. All right, cool. Thank you. I've been reading up on this a little bit. <laughs> and actually, I, I have some familiar, familiarity with Zappy for my support days because, you know, we'd had to deal with that with SnapDrive and SnapManager. Mm-hmm. So these things all talked into ONTAP. Uh, and now that we have REST APIs, our own uh, products can start talking REST API to, the, to our systems as well to simplify things for ourselves. Justin, if I could throw in a comment here. The Zappies are built on a, a SOAP-based XML uh, paradigm. And um, one of the challenges, as you mentioned, is that required our own SDK. A lot of programming languages make it very easy to interact with REST APIs, especially that are built around JSON. And so a lot of the power here comes from, you, you know, following the principles of REST um, in terms of unique URLs for, for each resource, JSON-based encoding makes it really easy to program to. Could you tell us a little more actually about REST? And uh, let's go a little further into REST and why people use REST. So uh, as Justin rightly pointed out, uh, the RESTful APIs, uh, these are now native. Uh, You don't need any external management station. So they're independent on one side. Uh, It's extensible. When I say extensible, these can readily integrate with any REST API-based data center management infrastructure. So that's where the extensible piece comes in. And also, we are looking at making this publicly available so that we don't, we want to do away with the formal registration or the private agreement, which we used to have with ONTAPI API. So that's how Zappy is externally referenced. And uh, these are really efficient REST APIs. So there are two reasons. One, uh, in both the response to the API calls as well as usage of the ONTAP resources. So Compared to the ONTAPI API, uh, the REST APIs are very efficient. Uh, and along with it, so enterprises and service providers, they're really looking for REST compliance and supportability from a REST standpoint. So from a compliance standpoint as well, that's the reason we have kind of invested in this modern uh, workflow-based RESTful APIs. So John, do you want to add anything there? Yeah, one of the things I would like to say about that is the uh, Zappy interfaces are pretty granular and they expose a lot of knobs and there are a lot of APIs and there's well over a hundred different Zappy categories. Um, and I think it's, it's challenging for people with such a large swath of APIs with lots of um, detailed geek knobs um, where do they start and which ones are important? And so one of the things we spent a lot of time on with the REST APIs is how do we simplify the object model that we expose for ONTAP in a way that not only simplifies the number of calls, but simplifies the total number of resources that you have to deal with. Um, and so um, that's where we've really prioritized a lot of our effort is in simplifying APIs, simplifying workflows, um, so that there's less to consume, less to handle, and it's easier to program to. If I understand correctly, we had some semblance of REST API support for interaction with System Manager in 9.5. Is that right, Yuvarajo? Right. Uh, that's right, Justin. What we had with 9.5 was mostly the application template-based REST APIs, uh, which we, we were using it for those application templates to make it somebody to provision 
uh, application, a kind of provision storage for different applications using these templates. So it is very limited with 9.5, but with 9.6, since you mentioned uh, system manager, what we have along with the classic uh, system manager interface, we also have this new ONTAP system manager interface, which is totally built on REST, and then we have a preview mode coming out with 9.6. So any uh, any kind of new enhancement, something new which has been built in, in the total in the new ONTAP system manager, that could be hardware visualization, the way you look at capacity, and uh, the performance metrics. So all of these are based on REST. And uh, the additional uh, uh, piece which comes in with system manager is that you can look at the APA log, the REST APA log, for any action, you navigate, you click on a volume, the equivalent call, you can see it coming in the REST API log, and a user can understand as to which call is being used. He can also click there and then look at the output as well. So that's something which is being built. Uh, System Manager is one of the earlier, the foremost tools which is actually consuming REST APIs. Okay, so let's move into 9.6, which is coming out this month. Um, what did we do there? In 9.6, uh, significant REST APIs are coming, and uh, the REST API supports for most on-tap configuration and administration tasks. Key areas we are supporting in 9.6 are cluster data, protocol configuration, provisioning, performance monitoring, um, data production. So pretty much uh, um, uh, most of the common use cases are targeted in 9.6. So any customer who's using um, uh, all these constructs should be able to you know, uh, use the REST APIs to manage that. So I'm hearing that there's some things that might not be available. Um, can you give me an example or two of what we might not be able to do currently with REST APIs and when we can expect to be able to do that? Uh, so our actually REST API is a journey. So some of that is the uh, um, management of the Metro cluster. Okay, so stuff that might not be as uh, readily used by everyone. You're kind of holding that off. and, and Absolutely. That, yeah, and really what it has to come down to is you have a six-month cadence, and you only have six months to put things into a release. So you kind of have to pick and choose what you want to put in there, more or less, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So our target was in 906 to provide most of the information so common use cases can be solved. So to kind of clarify on the point which Anil made in terms of MCC, I think uh, MCC-specific operations uh, are, is what is missing as part of 9.6. But in terms of the regular day-to-day operations kind of task, I think all of those can be done on Metro Cluster. So it's it's really even like a more finite uh, gap than we even thought, right? It's, it's even less that you have to worry about than before, than we were thinking. Absolutely. Right. So, all right. So it's almost pretty much done anyway. So good. Um, as far as the technical details about this, so... Can we break down uh, the design aspects of REST API as well as your philosophy for how you're implementing it? Yeah, so the REST API was um, built to, to uh, be a, a simpler model of the ONTAP architecture. And so some of the principles that went into that is we use categorization to bring together um, related functionality. We compose various... Uh, low-level details into uh, a higher-level construct. Um, we reduce the number of attributes based upon uh, expected customer usage so that you're not pouring over attributes that only a, a few customers are going to make use of and are not important to the primary use uh, workflows. And we seek to standardize 
um, all the API uh, names and property names so that it had a consistent look and feel across. Um, one of the other guiding principles we had was the what's known in REST circles as the Richardson maturity model, which has basically four levels, zero, one, two, or three. And in zero, um, you're basically where we are with Zappies, where you're making use of XML with a single URI, with a single HTTP method. At level one, you have um, different URIs that you're making use of, each URI corresponding to a resource that you're interacting with. Level two is where you add in different verbs, so you're making use of post, patch, delete, get, the standard HTTP verbs. And then level three is where uh, Hato AS, um, basically hypermedia as the engine of application state comes into play. And that allows dynamic linking from re one resource to another. And we're in the middle of the level three, where we support uh, unique URIs uh, for each resource, both at a collection level and at a per instance level. We support um, all the standard HTTP verbs, and we have hypermedia linking so that as you are looking at the SVM and it's referencing maybe your NFS server or your SIP server, there's a actually link in, inside there that you could follow that link to get more details, to get more granular information about the object. So what's the level four maturity? What does that entail? There is no level. It's, it's four levels starting level zero. Oh, we started with zero. I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> Programmers starting with zero. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so we're at level three, which is pretty much the highest level of maturity. So we're very mature uh, here at, at NetApp. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about your your uh, modern programmable APIs and your object models. How how are we handling that? Well, the object model is working off of the the objects that customers are familiar with, right? So we have an object model for SVMs and for volumes and for LUNs and for queue trees and for SIFs uh, services, etc. So it's it's the kind of core objects that customers are familiar with, and we build it out in a, in a hierarchy so that we have, um, unlike Zappy, which has you know 100 plus different uh, API categories, we have less than a dozen. So we have storage as a top level category, we have protocols as a top level category, we have uh, support as a top level category, uh, cluster, the core cluster, hardware and information, you know, your, your nodes are all underneath that. Um, there's a category for networking configuration, a category for security, a category for snap mirror. And so that kind of covers in the category for applications. And so we've organized all of our APIs into uh, less than a dozen categories um, and brought things together in a way that hopefully would make it easy for customers both to discover the, the APIs and to understand how they relate to one another. Yeah, and if you want to get a visualization of that, um, you can go to, you. if you upgrade to ONTAP 9.6, uh, you can go to your slash docs slash API, and that'll give you a list of all the APIs, and it'll show you those categories, and you can drill down into the categories. And then there's a try it out button, which is I think it's pretty cool, because you, know, you get an example of how you're going to do this, how you're going to implement it. And you can do it either through you know JSON, or you can do it through um, uh, do, you know, basic curl commands. Uh, PowerShell using the get web request uh, commandlet. So a lot of ways to consume this. Yeah, I think uh, at, at this point, I think we should really uh, kind of uh, uh, appreciate the efforts which went in from the information engineering team, which worked on the REST APIs. And they've really done a good job of uh, giving the Swagger interface 
with providing the online documentation, uh, the ability to look at an example, the model, which will help uh, some uh, help uh, a user understand whether it's a mandatory or a required or an optional parameter. Uh, providing you with a curl output, uh, and then also from an authorization standpoint, a token also can be generated there. So. Uh, the Swagger online documentation could be the one place uh, where a user could land in, have a look at the categories of APIs, understand how to try out each of those, uh, right from a get or a post call, uh, looking at the example, the models, getting a curl output, the output can be used in a client. So uh, it's the one place I would believe where somebody will really get started. Yeah, it is one-stop shop. I mean, you can do pretty much everything. You can also generate your tokens there, like you mentioned, and that's pretty cool because you don't have to pass any sort of username or password. It generates an, a unique token, and you use that for your authentication method so you're not having to deal with you know security risks. So as far as um, other functionality and features, what do we have there for us, John? REST APIs bring all the functionality that you had with um, ONTAP APIs, um, but it, it adds to that. Um, and so... Pagination was supported in with our classic APIs. Pagination is supported here, and it's supported in a way that that's uh, more intuitive for a web interface dealing with a, a next link. Um, the filtering that was supported with ONTAP is all, with ONTAP APIs are also supported here. But we extended that, and we're supporting uh, sorting, so you can sort on different uh, columns of output. Um, so you're, if you're trying to take a look at your volumes and you want to sort on something other than the default sort order, you can do that. Now, it, sometimes it can take a little longer depending upon the size of your collection when you're doing sorting, but we're going to be improving on that next release. There's uh, a, really a lot of functionality. There's nothing that you had with ONTAPI from a, from a core functionality standpoint that you don't have with the REST APIs. Plus you get more, I, I, would, I would argue. Yep, and and it's built around you know it's built around a standard right. Open API um, is a common standard for REST APIs, and what that means is that we have a YAML file that customers could download and make use of lots of different third-party tools to generate their own uh, client bindings in whatever language the the open source supports, which is dozens of different languages, right? And so. Um, since we've, we're working around a common industry standard, not only with REST as an architectural paradigm, but also the open API mechanism for documenting it, there's, it makes it really easy for customers to, to hit the ground running. Yeah, and with existing customers, you know, they may be using Zappy today, but honestly, we, we were kind of the outliers because you probably had other uh, vendors that were using REST APIs already, and they have modules already in place to consume REST APIs, and now they can just plug ONTAP in easily with that. That's right. So one of the things that we're doing is we're, we're aggregating information, and we're, but we're doing it in such a way to only aggregate the necessary information based upon what's requested. And so depending upon the, the functionality that's being requested from a given API, right? So the SVM API, for example, pulls in um, aspects of your NFS uh, service that's been configured in your SIF service. And so you can do a lot more with a single API, and then you can target how you're using that API just for the properties that you care about. And so a combination of those two things allows you to do more with single APIs while simultaneously narrowing it down to just the information you want. 
And as a bonus positive side effect, um, the fact that you can use REST APIs in a more granular way without having to make as many calls is that you're taking memory pressure off of things like the cluster databases like MGWD. That's right. To add to what uh, John said is uh, the ability to actually fetch almost a year's worth of performance data. With System Manager um, being built on REST, uh, you can actually see one year's worth of performance data in System Manager. So that's something, the historical data is something that uh, I'm being uh, somebody who was handling System Manager earlier, very excited to see that right from an hour uh, where the sample size would be from 15 seconds to a day uh, where it will be around four minutes to a week to a month and then to an hour. So to a, sorry, to a year. So I think this level of performance data, uh, which can be fetched, displayed in System Manager, and at the same time, we have made improvements in the way we bring this data on so that there is no impact on or no additional on-tap resources are being used. So that's something where a lot of effort has gone in as part of this release. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, I was pretty excited about hearing that you could get a year's worth of uh, performance data in System Manager now because I used to be really disappointed when I would go in there and just get real time. And then I'd want to go back later and it's logged me out. And I'm like, oh, no, I was watching that. Uh, yeah, so now you get to keep all that data. Um, and it's interesting to hear how it ties into other things that we talk about, like REST API. So, I mean, REST API made this sort of thing possible. Yes, that's right. REST made it possible. That's right. Yeah, you can use that if you like. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I didn't mention yet is that uh, REST APIs are supported from an SVM uh, context as well as a cluster context. So, truly, yeah. Uh, yeah you could leverage with Zappies inside your data namespace and calling the management APIs are still supported with REST APIs. Does that mean we can do role-based access control within System Manager at the SVM level? What we do is we actually leverage the existing roles. Um, and so if you any of your existing roles that you've set up, um, we do internal mappings to know whether or not that functionality is corresponds to the REST API. And then there's a new um, REST API role-based access uh, mechanism that's built around REST APIs. And so you can either leverage it based upon the existing roles, which are more built around CLI commands, or you can find new roles that's built around the REST APIs. The point which John made is true from a REST standpoint, uh, but these don't translate into system managers. So system manager, you still need the cluster admin. We don't have that server scoped administration from system manager, but from a REST standpoint, uh, what John said is right. So uh, we've talked a lot about technical details and REST APIs and, you know, what they are and, and how to consume them. But I want to hear the field aspect. So, Ian, um, how excited are you as someone in the field about leveraging REST APIs? So uh, I'm really excited about the simplification that we've been discussing here. I think from a, a programming point of view, it simplifies a lot of things, the whole management of, of the data. Um, it's, it's modern uh, in that all, all the young guys, which maybe there's no one on the phone at the moment here, who are used to REST APIs, who are used to JSON, then it simplifies everything. Um, and the, the other thing that we need to consider is that uh, it, in the larger customer service providers particularly, there, there are many different groups working and interfacing to, to ONTAP. 
And as an example, you've got the storage engineers uh, designing the SVMs, you've got the networking, you've got the storage operations, you've got inventory management, you've got capacity management, you've got billing, reporting, DBAs, and and all these guys um, in these larger customers have different use cases. They want to have a few lines of code. They don't want the dependencies on the SDKs uh, and they really want to simplify the way that they interact securely, maybe read-only when it comes to billing or or reporting. And, and I think this simplifies the whole thing because you don't need to have the same level of uh, propriety knowledge as you described earlier. And, and also, it's uh, easier to get the data, particularly in reporting and billing. You, you have one call, you get a set of e- uh, nice JSON that you can then easily read. And the type of guys who were maybe doing inventory collection and more, the DBA, the data warehouse type of guys, so that simplifies everything in the interface. Uh, so I think that that's really great. Um, one of the things in, in the larger customers as well is that after you've done a day zero install with the, the, the classical NetApp tools, then maybe you want to do some hardening. Maybe from a security perspective, you want to turn off uh, the iSCSI protocol, uh, something like that. So again, it simplifies the, the whole thing with not as much knowledge about Zarpis and, and the storage. So I think that that's really great. And also speaking to, to partners here in EMEA, then they're very happy that we're bringing this in because then it's it's modernizing the APIs, although they've had huge success with uh, automation already. But this is just making uh, newer customers more interested in uh, automating on tap. Um, the, the other things, there's, there's a number of customers that are working with here in Amir as well have been asking for a long time. And one of the use cases that one particular customer's got is is actually using REST APIs into ActiveIQ. And then he's merging the data that he gets from ActiveIQ with inventory collection as well, and then putting it in his own database. So, of course, then from a programming point of view, you have a very clean environment. So what sort of tools are people leveraging to do this automation? Like, I mean, what, what, do you, what are you using and what are our customers using? So, so the um, being an old guy, I started with Perl twenty something years ago. Uh, while I've been at NetApp, I've moved on to PowerShell, which I think is a great language also for handling uh, REST APIs. We we have some integration in other products like Snap Center, uh, where we have REST APIs and we're using uh, PowerShell. Uh, but particularly, I like Python. And myself and my colleague Adrian, we've basically been using Python for this evaluation. Uh, and what we've wanted to do in, in a few lines of code has, has worked very well. So um, I think the, the, the main thing is, and we've always had this discussion at NetApp, is Python available? What language is available? With REST, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Uh, and I think that's a huge differentiator for us as well, that, that anyone can use his own language. He knows how to do REST, uh, and that's really great. So have you seen a lot of people using things like the Ansible modules or you know Kubernetes to, to automate these things as opposed to just writing a, a Python script? So, so um, th- this is a, a very interesting question and a very important question because we, we've seen in the past we've we've had examples a couple of years ago of integration with jenkins um 
we've got then, as you say, containers, uh, et cetera. And, and the type of guys who are programming that definitely want out-of-the-box standard tools. Um, Ansible, for me, is, is up and coming. Uh, lots of customers are asking about Ansible. I think that's a, a great opportunity for us as well. Um, and as long as we keep um, extending our Ansible functionality, I, I think that's great. And one one of the challenges is, and this, this is a little bit off topic for REST APIs, is all customers have the re requirement we must automate everything. Uh, and then they start talking about Ansible, they talk, talk about the language, but what they're not doing, and, and this is my request really to all our customers, is to, to think about uh, how they're going to plan their whole automation roadmap. And you have to take both a, a bottom-up approach, which is, yes, I might use Ansible and I might use it for provisioning, but also my uh, senior management want integration into ServiceNow. And by taking both the top-down, ServiceNow can do certain things and bottom-up, Ansible can do certain things, and really thinking about what journey larger customers need to take to do this automation. So you mentioned the journey, and that's kind of gets me into my next point. Um, how are you helping customers move from Zappy to REST API? What is your your strategy for that? So, so that that's that's a very interesting question, and and one of the things that Adrian and I have done, we've we've looked at um, a particular set of use cases, um, and for a for a particular. Um, service provider that's offering multi-tenancy. So we've, we've been looking at primary and secondary uh, SVM provisioning, uh, snap mirroring, peering, creation of um, volumes, queue trees, quotas, exports. And we've been trying to see how could we actually do that with our actual REST API toolkit. And what we've got uh, in a number of examples has, has proved really straightforward to do that. So I think that that's one area where um, we, we can really help customers to move forward on our experience there and guide them in how to start to think about different use cases. The the other one is um, thinking about if, if a customer is working with Perl at the moment and he's got maybe some code that's many years old because he designed something and we still see that out in the field, uh, that they've got things they designed in 2007, they're still using it today. So also get them to think about how they're going to modernize and maybe move away from Perl, uh, which may be difficult, or move to Ansible or move somewhere else. And then maybe as they go on this journey moving 9697 and beyond, uh, that, that they've actually got a roadmap about how they will convert some of the tools uh, and modernize what they're trying to do. And, and it, it's clearly a step-by-step -step process. It, it's working with customers who either knew, and I think that's, that's easy, and then working with customers who are enthusiastic about moving forward on, on the REST journey. Earlier, you touched on some of the different types of admin and developers, whether it's provisioning or doing inventory and reporting. Um, what about customer use cases? What sort of types of use cases do we have there? Um, so when we're talking about um, customer use cases, it depends on the size of the customer. It depends on whether they've got a mature platform or whether, uh, because they're a large company, they've never got to the point where uh, they've been able to implement an automation strategy. 
And so what we have in, uh, as an example, in, in one large service provider, I know uh, the scripting guys, they've got one group that's doing a set of billing. And then in the operations side, uh, they've got a set of guys scripting small use cases for checking um, the compliance of the system. Is any anything um, not configured correctly? So there are, there are multiple examples of small customers to then the much more sophisticated customers where a couple that I know here in Germany, they've been working on automation since 2007. They've gone through multiple iterations of improving everything. They, they have portals. They have everything that a lot of other companies are dreaming about. Uh, but it takes some time. Um, and I would be recommending, as I mentioned earlier, this both this top-down and bottom-up approach um, for whatever use cases. But, but the, the customer needs these type of automation architects. Uh, that are going to help them on the journey, as well as the domain specialist in, in storage or operations. So what are you seeing out there in terms of DevOps? And when I say that, I mean storage administrators that are having to reinvent themselves and turn into automation experts. Like how, how are people doing that out there? So, so I, that, that's a difficult question um, because it depends, again, on the size of the customer. It depends on um, who's been doing this automation and what the level of mot motivation that they've, they've, they've got. And what I'm seeing in one particular customer, they've been told they, they need to go into a DevOps model. And so what happens, we've got our specialists from the, the, the Kubernetes team, the CICD and the general DevOps that the NetApp's presenting. And then we're discussing with the management, what is the approach to move forward on that? And I think in these larger customers, it's going to take a number of years and we can play a major role uh, in, in helping them to do that. Uh, and then on the other side, there are some, I'll call it more sophisticated middle-sized customers that are already there, um, but because they've got all the basic tooling in place, t typically customers that have source control um, will be more sophisticated. A lot of the, I'll call it the, the larger service providers that are just doing scripting, source control is in a tar file or source control is in an, an email box and they've got five different versions. So there is a lot of basics that we can help the customer get into to get the infrastructure you would need to actually start to go into that DevOps. Um, and on the other side, so we've got the classical NetApp storage and then with our containers, Trident, then that's a different set of guys and we need to advise those in a more DevOps and a more agile and let's do it now as opposed to it's a longer journey. Yeah, and it's interesting because these, these larger companies, um, they want to get there, but they're finding that they are a giant uh, cruise ship that is hard to turn around and go the other way, right? Whereas these smaller companies are like, hey, we've got a little speedboat, so let's just flip it around and we're there already. Uh, so it, it's, there's some inertia there that comes with automation. Yeah, and, and, and here... The, it, every manager, whether he's VP or, or any level, it says, I need to automate everything. And then the guys who have got to do that don't have the training, don't have the experience, and don't have the time. And we, we really need to help these, these management level guys understand what the journey is, show results within one to two months, which we have all the tools for doing that. And we can build uh, scripts 
to add on to any of our standard automation tools and, and get them moving. Uh, but that that's an inertia that unfortunately is there and I'm not sure how we'll actually cure that apart from customers will get desperate. So John, what sort of things do we use within NetApp internally for automation? Like as a developer, what are you plugging into? So we make use of uh, generated Python uh, library, client library code um, that's generated using the Swagger tools. And we're in the process of uh, making a significant improvement on that, um, that about the time of GA, we hope to release as well. So client-side libraries that are built around Python that natively work with our object model. As far as um, testing and, and, and doing things internally, though, I mean, we're using things like Jenkins or we're using things like Ansible. I mean, how are we automating that testing process? Yeah, so all the testing is making use of uh, Jenkins and uh, we have uh, continuous integration tests as well as build time tests. And so any uh, issues that, that you know, if somebody makes a change that has an issue, those, those changes are immediately bisected and reverted and we figure out what the issue is and, and improve on that. So we're, we're constantly raising the bar of the internal quality um, with build time and runtime tests. Ian, um, have you had a chance to use the new REST API functionality in 9.6? And if you have, what's your opinion of the documentation and the usability? So so my colleague Adrian, he, he read it in detail, and he was so excited about the, the level of detail that's there. Uh, he's given the praise back to the, the both the documentation team and the engineering team. So I think he's, he's quite a picky guy. So I think that that's already um, a really good, big compliment. Uh, I've had a look and, and I think it's really great as well. And if I was to help new guys from our consultants who've got to get into this, it's really uh, a 10 minute discussion, show them on the screen, explain a few uh, tips uh, exactly like John's been talking about. What Here's the general features, here's what you need to think about, and then try it out download maybe some of the um, the JSON outputs because that's a nice feature that we've got on the Swagger interface uh, and then have a look uh, at how easy it is to handle. So I think it's really great. Clearly the devil is in the detail but but things things like John was mentioning for for the the pagination then when you've got thousands of records you've got to think about that but you you had to do the same thing with Zappis as well. So I, I think it, it's really great and just with that 10-minute introduction, uh, you can really get started fast. So, uh, Yuvarajju, for a feedback loop, if somebody is starting to use REST APIs and they want to give comments right. and feedbacks, do they, who do they go to for that? Is that you or is that a general deal? So, what we are thinking of, Justin, is uh, we have spoken to the NetApp.io team. Uh, we are looking at having a Slack channel there. And also on the communities, we have a developer network. Uh, there, we will have a discussion tab on on tap rest so people can actually have from a public standpoint from a netapp community standpoint questions can be asked there from a slack uh, channel standpoint we can also have questions there plus internally we're also thinking of having an ng so these are some of the ways we're looking to engage okay so what other resources do we have out there I mean, you mentioned the pub so netapp.io um what other things do we have out there for so uh, one of the things which uh, which we feel that needs to be there is the lab on demand. Uh, so as part of the early validation, I did have an early access lab. So what we'll do is we'll kind of elaborate or build on that lab 
and make a lab available where people can come in. Uh, even was pointing about the 15 minutes where uh, they can look at how they can filter the sorting and then uh, using uh, the try-it-out options. So we will have some of the use cases there on the lab. The field teams and the partners can come in. They can use the lab. Uh, along with it, as we move towards GA and we have uh, the Python SDK, we will have sample codes uh, helping them understand how to use the SDK and providing some examples. Uh, so Anil, uh, Anil had some plans as well. You want to add there, Anil? Absolutely. So, Jason, uh, we, uh, Justin, we have a couple of the things. As Yuvraju mentioned, we have a programmer's guide, developer's guide for somebody to get started with. And uh, we are planning to have the developer community where they can come and, you know, contribute and uh, communicate. And we'll have SME presence over there. And uh, also, <clears throat> as Yuvraju mentioned, we'll have a Slack channel. They can come and, you know, uh, reach out to us. Or if there is something, uh, they can reach out to us directly also, me and Yuvraju. Yeah, and there's also, uh, as I understand it, a bunch of new Ansible modules that were added for ONTAP 9.6. So that's available out there on GitHub in the pub as well, right? So, yeah, yeah, Ansible team is planning to uh, release the Ansible module based upon the REST APIs. Those are also uh, planned. If you want to access the documentation, you can do that through the cluster name slash docs slash API. So you have the availability there as well. Yuvaraju, uh, Anil... John, Ian, do you have anything to add before we, we take off here? Yeah, actually, I would like to add a few things. As you guys heard Ian talking, uh, field-validated REST APIs provided uh, overall positive feedback. And you heard that resources are available, like developer's guide is there, uh, community, developer communities so over there, Swagger document is there, Python SDK is over there, Levon demand is over there, and 9.6 is providing um, you know common use cases uh, using the REST APIs. So I would like you guys to start exploring, uh, you know, using uh, exploring the REST APIs and start using REST APIs to get benefits of new innovations we are releasing, as well as transition your infrastructure to modern industry standard interface. I'd just like to add that I, I'm looking forward to the journey in the, the next six to 12 months where we're then fully complete um, and how the customers are picking up on that and what their feedback is. And, and certainly from my point of view, I'll be accompanying key customers and, and being able to consult colleagues uh, and give feedback from the larger customers to um, the product development team. Absolutely, uh, Ian, thank you. And the products is committed to work with the um, field teams and with the customers during this transition, absolutely. I've really appreciated all the EVP feedback we've gotten so far on the REST APIs. Um, it's improved the, our APIs already, and uh, I'm very eager to hear back from our customers um, the things that they like, the things that uh, that they'd like to see improved, and and continuing the journey. All right, Ian, Yuvaraju, John, Anil, thanks so much for joining us today and telling us all about REST APIs. Again, Anil, if we want to reach you, how do we do that? Uh, you can, um, as we mentioned, um, you guys can reach out to us through communities or you can reach out to me and you graduate directly on our emails. My email is again, Anil Tosagarwal at netup.com. Thank and you. You, Viraju, how about you? Yeah, um, my email ID would be Yuvaraju, Y-U-V-A-R-A-J-U at netup.com or I do have a Twitter handle, B underscore Yuvaraju. You can reach me on either of these. 
And we'll be uh, sure to include those in the show notes as well as some blog posts and other links to relevant information. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Yubaraju, Anil Agarwal, Ian Owen, and John DeGraff for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.